Welcome to St Martin the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music and a special welcome to those joining us online. Of all the uh, theological tensions between the present day and the era of the biblical writers, perhaps the greatest <coughs> is the idea in the, in the mind undeniably of most of the biblical writers that heaven is up there that heaven is above the sky. Uh, one famous theologian talked about the three-decker universe of heaven up there, earth here, and hell down below. Uh, and we don't kind of think of things quite like that now, but if you, if you think of the French word for heaven, those of you who speak French here, and the French word for sky, it's the same word, ciel. So it's there in the very French language, the kind of problem that heaven and sky are kind of basically the same thing. Uh, that gives the idea that, that God is up there, which we still sometimes say in a sort of vernacular way, uh, that the angels are up there too. Uh, and so many of the biblical stories assume that shape. So if you think of the story associated with this window here, this window was originally related to the first sermon that was preached in this church in 1726. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you the whole sermon. But it was on the text of, the, of Jacob and the ladder of angels from, from Genesis. So that ladder of angels, that idea that, that, that angels are going up and down from heaven above. Uh, and if you think of other such stories, Elijah and the chariots of fire going up to heaven at the end of Elijah's life. And most obviously of all, <coughs> Jesus' ascension into heaven at the end of the gospel story. So above has, this, has two connotations, the notion of being um, superior, uh, but also remote. Heaven is, is described in many, many ways in the Bible as a home, as a throne, as a house with many rooms in John 14, often read at funerals, as a temple, most obviously in Book of Revelation, as a city, decorated with jewels, many, many pictures of heaven. Um, but the great theological question is, if we don't say today that, that God is up there, where is God? Well, again, properly, theologically, that question has been answered by the Incarnation. Jesus came uh, to be with us, and wherever we want to look for God, for Christians, we look for where Jesus is, uh, and the Holy Spirit that makes Christ present. That may seem like a bit of an escape, though. It may seem like a bit of a not, not really a satisfactory answer. So all the different pieces we're going to hear today and sing ourselves are all wrestling in different ways with this notion of the sky and, and how it relates to what we think of as heaven. So it's our tradition of Great Sacred Music. We start by singing a hymn together, which we're going to do now, which you can find on the inside of these handout sheets. If you haven't got one of the sheets, there's still some copies left uh, on the little <clears throat> wooden table in the middle of the aisle. Christ, whose glory fills the skies, was published by Charles Wesley in 1740. It's inspired by the canticle from morning prayer. Many of you may be familiar with the morning prayer or matin service from the Anglican liturgy, the Benedictus, uh, and, the, and the line, the tender mercy of God from whom the day spring from on high has visited us. 
Uh, it's considered one of, of all Charles, Charles Wesley's hymn, one of, one of the finest pieces of poetry, largely because and not a single word wasted. Uh, we have the, uh, there's a basic analogy going on in this hymn, which is that dawn, the, the first light of the day, is, is like a metaphor for the first light of spiritual awakening very much connected to the Wesleyan idea of the inner light that overcomes the darkness of sin. The German uh, tune was written in 1815, so about 70 years after the hymn itself was written, and they, they got put together in that most vital of documents, the 1861 first edition of hymns, ancient and modern. So though we think we might assume, we're so familiar with, the, with this hymn being sung to this tune, it wasn't until 1861 that they were conjoined. So it's our tradition. We remain seated. The voices stand and lead us as we sing together Christ whose glory fills the skies. Well, uh, when you think of the three-decker universe, Haydn's creation is one of the first places you go, and we're going to hear a couple of pieces now from Haydn's creation. It's an interesting piece of work and um, composed in the 1790s. It's three sources, the book of Genesis, obviously, the, the, the Psalms, but also, intriguingly, John Milton's Paradise Lost. The, there's three parts to the oratorio. Uh, the first deals with the creation of light, heaven and earth, the sun and the moon, the land and water and of plants, days one to four in the traditional Genesis 1 account. The second treats the creation of the animals and of man and woman, which is days five and six. And then the final one uh, moves on to the Genesis 2 story and describes Adam and Eve during their happy time in the Garden of Eden 
portraying an idealized love in harmony with the new world. From a historical, philosophical point of view, what's fascinating about Haydn's creation is that it has this portrayal of a benign, rationally ordered universe and a very optimistic view of uh, humanity. We, don't, we scarcely get a single reference to the fall. So it was, a, it was a very good fit for the temper of the Enlightenment, both in Georgian England and in 1790s Vienna. Let's enjoy these two pieces now. of the Asia sky, a countless host of radiant homes and and the sons of God announced the fourth day in song divine, proclaiming thus his
Well, we're going to skip ahead to the 20th century now uh, for a couple of deceptively simple pieces by Edward Elgar, the first called As Torrents in Summer. Uh, I imagine there are one or two people here from America. We do occasionally get one or two people here from America. You're very welcome. Uh, so uh, out of uh, a, a, a tribute to you, we have um, the 19th century American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, uh, the most popular American poet of his day, writer of Paul Revere's Ride, Song of Hiawatha and Evangeline. Um, this is his poem as Torrance in Summer, <clears throat> which Edward Elgar included as part of his larger cantata, King Olaf. Uh, this has got quite an interesting analogy at the heart of it. Uh, you may have had the experience of seeing a torrent of water and looking at a clear blue sky and wondering uh, why there's a torrent of water when there's been no rain for some time? Well, of course, the answer is the water isn't just coming from in front of you, it's coming from way up at the top of the mountain where either there was a melting glacier, let's not go into that, or uh, there was an awful lot of rain a couple of days ago. Uh, and what Longfellow is doing in this poem is he's saying that God's work is like that torrent. You can't see the effects of it at the moment. You see the effects a couple of days later or a couple of centuries later because the rain has happened upstream. It's a fascinating uh, analogy. Um, and then the second piece is called The Shower uh, from a poem, uh, poem by Henry Vaughan. This, uh, Elgar composed this piece in 1914 in his beloved Mulvern. Uh, and this, is, again, has got a slightly less sophisticated analogy. This is uh, 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 an analogy... Uh, calling on God to melt the poet's heart in just the same way as rain softens the, the uh, hard earth. Let's enjoy these two poems by Edward Elgar.
Well, it's time for us all to join in again now. We're going to sing uh, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, what you might call a proper hymn, a real proper hymn. Um, it was published in 1834. It's based on Psalm 103. <clears throat> if you think the name Henry Francis Light sounds vaguely familiar, of course it is. He wrote, also wrote Abide With Me, which he wrote for the cup final. And, no, that's not actually true. But, but, uh, uh, but obviously one of the best-known hymns in the English language. And actually they're kind of the same hymn uh, because they're both about God's reliability and saving care. Um, unforgettable lines in, uh, in this hymn. Uh, well our feeble frame he knows in his hands he gently bears us rescues us from all our foes uh, tremendous reassurance comfort strength amid adversity tune written by the organist of St. St Paul's Cathedral John Goss so in your sheets on the right hand page of the inside uh, we'll remain seated and sing together as the voices lead us praise my soul the King of Heaven <laughs>
Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for today. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, if you have, there's an opportunity to make a donation as you leave. You can give in cash, you can swipe a card, you can go on the website or you can text and all the details are on the back of the sheet. Um, we really appreciate your donations. Great Sacred Music is now, um, I guess, about six months after we revived it post-pandemic, getting back to its full its full majesty and we want to keep it going forever or, or longer, whichever uh, is most appropriate. Um, if you're a fan of Choral Classics, our, our partner event that takes place on Sunday afternoons, it's the last Choral Classics before the summer break uh, at 3.15 on Sunday, give us the wings of faith uh, and that'll resume on the 4th of September. But great sacred music goes on un un uninterrupted forever and uh, next week we'll be doing Vivaldi's Gloria. So we're going to finish with a different kind of heaven, Wizard of Oz. Uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, written for the 1939 film, the same theme of heaven, sky, although there's a kind of, kind of cynicism that lies within the, the Wizard of Oz. There's, there's a kind of disappointment that the wizard turns out to be not much of a person after all. There's a kind of deconstruction of the, of the Christian uh, worldview or the traditional Christian worldview. But, there's, uh, but the, the, the film begins, of course, with this wonderful, jaunty, uh, optimistic, uh, hopeful uh, vision. Thanks for joining us.